Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Thursday, February 10th, 2022. Hot off the presses right now, TigerIllustrated.com. Some context to Mike Reed's recent two salary bumps. Heck, he might be getting another at this rate. Pursued by two of the big dogs recently, and then more recently, sounds like pursued by the dogs in, in Athens, Georgia. Don't think he's going anywhere, but for more on that, and of course, plenty of recruiting, intel, and insight, go to TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president president for the Clemson Market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting. Like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our guest, our national championship winning guest, coolest coach on Clemson's campus, in my opinion. Wait, did I say that out loud? Here is Clemson soccer coach Mike Noonan. All right, uh, joined by Mike Noonan. And Mike, I I hate it that I don't cover soccer but one of the best part or the best part of not covering clemson soccer is i get to be a fan i get to pull for you and uh super happy for you and your family uh congrats you know belated congratulations i guess i should say how you doing no i'm doing i'm doing good it's uh it's it's busy time you know we're we're there's all the uh, ramifications and aftermath of winning the national championship, but uh, you know we're focusing right now. And tomorrow we start our 20-hour week for uh, for the springtime, and the the team is back and excited and in training and recruiting's going on. So we're uh, it's all happening. It's uh, but it feels really good. I mean, Clemson is a is a fantastic place uh, if you're going to win a national championship. So it's been almost two months. Um, what's been the, if you were to, if another coach were to say, man, what is it like when you finally win one? What's the first thing that would come to your mind? Just sort of maybe for, just emotionally. Yeah, processing that emotion is is one thing, particularly when you've been at it as long as I have, uh, Larry. And, 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 you know, pursuing a worthy goal is something and, and that's always been the, the dream not necessarily the goal I mean the goal is to develop young men and get them graduated and you know do do great things in their lives but but the dream is always to win the national championship and we've been close here at Clemson I've been close uh, at Brown but when it finally happened the best part about it and I think everybody will, will say this is that the look on my daughter's and my wife's face uh, was probably the most, uh, you know, the players and the joy that they had and their families. But, but just being able to experience, you know, what they've had to go through with me through their entire lives and then sitting on the field and carry and just, you know, you pinch yourself, the smiles are, uh, were, were amazing. And that's all the way around. But to see Debbie and the, and the girls, uh, the way that they were and you know by the time they get back here to Clemson and then I got home at about three o'clock in the morning they were watching the rerun of the game and they're still up we were up until five it, it just it was amazing uh, from a family standpoint is that re- is the biggest part of that just the 
the sacrifice, the sacrifices that have been made over the years. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's it. And, and you know, coming in the big sacrifices actually is, you know, Debbie and I are from New England and, and most of my career was spent in New England, except when I was playing and, and, you know, to come down to Clemson and to trust the fact that we were going to create a whole new life down here and a whole new environment and, you know, having the faith that, that this was going to, this was going to turn out well. And, uh, it has, it's been a wonderful project, not just winning the national championship, but being at Clemson and, and working in the athletic department and, you know, all the players and staff that, uh, that have been here over the 12 years is it's been very, very gratifying. And I, you know, when you take the risk to do something out of your comfort zone and moving down here was that, uh, it's not easy. And, uh, I think in particular for the wives and, and the, the kids, I mean, when we came down here, shoot, Kelly was seven or and and she still has some New England in her, but Megan was three, and she's all Southern now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's life shaping, and, and and to to finally reach that that pinnacle uh, was uh, yeah, it was is very gratifying for our family, but also for all the guys and their families and in Clemson, and that's the thing is that you know it's something that's embraced here at Clemson. And that's probably the biggest thing that I didn't quite understand. You know, I watched Dabo win it, uh, twice. I wasn't here when Larry won it with golf and obviously when coach Eve won his two. Uh, but to, to see the magnitude of the, you know, what it means to the community is just, it, it's something special. When anytime, I guess I, a coach achieves at a high level. It's always fascinating to go back and look at the junctures that, that led to him arriving at, at, at that place. Um, sort of, and you've, and you've just alluded several times to the decision to, to leave your comfort zone and to come down here. Um, you know, Dabo's story is obviously fascinating how he got here. You know, he was in commercial real estate for, for almost two years he was out of coaching and then Tommy Bowden is on the hot seat and uh, has to fill a spot and um, convinces Dabo to to come here and everybody knows what's happened since I'm just can we go dig into I mean you were at Brown for 15 years obviously you'd never been down here I'm just curious like the first phone call you got from Clemson and, and, and just as you think back to those sort of formative developments in getting you down here. Uh, what are the sort of landmarks uh, that stick out in your mind in that process? Well, it was uh, <clears throat> the first call came in the midst of the season. I had a really, really good team at Brown uh, the year everything went down. And Kyle Young called me in September. Uh, and, you know, the, the, they had interim coach at that time, Phil Heinsohn, and uh, said that they were going to have a national search and would I be interested in, in the position? And I said, right now, no, because I'm going to miss my season. I'm going to concentrate on the team that I have here. But at the end of the season, uh, if you're going to wait that long, I would uh, I would consider talking to you uh, and, and potential movement. I had grown frustrated, Larry, uh, with the Ivy League rules. I love Brown. It was a wonderful, it's an awesome place. Um, but the frustration was that, you know, we only had 10 days to practice in the spring and, to, you know, only got to play two out of season games. So we would coach for three months and there was nine months of camps, clinics and conventions. And that mm. was, you know, that had worn on me over 15 years and the impact that the best part of coaching for me is being on the field with players and, and watching the development. And although we were progressing and, and, and developing good players in the game, it had gotten frustrating at how limited those were. So that, so I was ready for a change, um, at the time. And, uh, and I had discussed it with Deb and, and, and she understood my frustration. Uh, you know, we talked about the kids being young. And so 
you know, Kyle waited and then, you know, and, and graciously when we were eliminated from the NCAA tournament in November, called again and, uh, you know, asked me if I would entertain coming down for an interview. I think I was one of four or five people and, um, I'll never forget, uh, coming down here and the interview was set up with Kyle Young, Terry Don Phillips and, uh, Bill DeAndre. And <laughs> I walked in and they shook my hands and all of them are ex, you know, linemen and football players and, and their hand envelopes up to my wrist, every one of them. Right. And I'm going, and, and I'm going, Whoa. And, uh, and, and Terry Don sits down and, in, in his way, he looks at me and he goes, Mike, um, everybody sitting on this side of the table knows nothing about soccer. <laughs> you mispronounced it, Mike. It's actually, it's not, it's, it's Mac. Mac, yeah. And he said, and, and he said, that's why, that's why you're here. <laughs> He goes, he said, we know a whole lot about Clemson and that's why we're here. And at that point I was like, I was kind of charmed. I was like, this is going to be pretty cool because, you know, these people can teach me something and I can teach them something. And, uh, and you know, that was just the way it was. And, uh, there was an opening at Syracuse university at the same time. And, uh, I had interviewed for that and, the day before I was offered the Clemson job, I was offered the Syracuse job. And I looked at Debbie and I said, she said to me, she, uh, I said to her, well, which orange do you like better? And I thought for sure she was going to say Syracuse because mm. at that time they're in the Big East. Her family's from the Providence area and we'd be able to stay up, you know, New England. We had a home in Vermont that we really enjoyed. And we came down to Clemson, visited Clemson and visited, uh, Syracuse and on the way home from both trips I said okay which orange is going to be and she goes I pick brown and I said that's not a choice <laughs> <laughs> and I was really really surprised when she said Clemson and it was the it was the you know she felt really comfortable as you know Larry our kids went to Montessori school with your kids and 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 that was a, a big factor um, but it was just the, um, the way the, the community embraced us when we were here for our visit and it just was, it just felt comfortable and warm. And, uh, and that Deb is not one that changes, it deals with change real well all the time. And, and that made her feel. And when she said that to me, I was like, okay, because Clemson was always my choice, but it wasn't going to be my decision. It was going to be a joint decision. And it was really 60, 40 to whether Debbie was going to feel comfortable coming down. So that was, that was that. And then I got here about a week on the job and, uh, uh I had left, uh, our associate head coach, Phil Jones, who's been with me since and came from Brown with me. It's been a wonderful part of our staff and, and our family. And, uh, I had to go back up and, and tie up things at Brown and, he called me on the phone two days later and he said, Mike, there's a threat. It might snow tomorrow and they won't let us practice. <laughs> and, and we were so bad at the time. I mean, we couldn't afford not to practice. I said, what do you mean? There's a threat of snow. He goes, yeah, they won't let me practice. So I called Kyle on the phone. I said, Kyle, what do you mean you won't let him practice? It's not snowing. It might snow. <laughs> and he explained to me that about the roads. And I said, you know, that's where the difference I came through. And we didn't get to practice that day. And uh, in, in that, now I realize. But ever since then, the recruiting pitch is we have 300 days of sunshine every, and we're playing in the middle of the winter outdoor, out, outdoors. And that has, uh, that has helped a great deal, uh, you know, attract really, really good players here at Clemson. Who else embraced you down here when y'all came to visit? Uh, who were who some of the other folks who just sort of gave you that good feeling? Well, it, you know, it, it was pretty much the whole athletic department, everybody I met. Um, 
Dr. Jackson, Loretta Jackson, who uh, she and her husband Chris Ip were uh, were who was the swim coach at the time. They uh, they had dinner with us, and uh, you know they were they were fantastic. They had been here quite a long time, and and you know really enjoyed it. And Billy D was, you know, he was in in his own special way was someone that that uh, you know really sold the. Uh, the idea that that you know you could accomplish something great here um you know kyle young has been a staple and in, in, in our lives since he's been here and you know just a very steady influence i, I remember this, this is great it's like we were in the i think i was in Dabo's old office i think that was at my first office when he was the wide receivers coach and right across the hallway in McFadden was a life-size picture of Kyle Young in his playing days <laughs> playing. And it was Kyle with no neck, and he was massive, right? And he's looking at us every day, and I'm going like, uh-uh, I'm not going to screw with this guy. This is my boss. I'm not screwing with this guy. <laughs> But that stared at us every day. But but when you get to know Kyle and, and understand, you know, his his wholesome way about him, um, it's just uh, it's completely different than what you see in between the lines. I think, and uh, and he's been he's been just so super to to us. And then, you know, the the one who really. Uh, it, and I was trying to impress her, and I don't know. She, I don't think she ever tried to impress me, but she was, uh, she was wonderful. With Julie Ibrahim, who, uh, who we met at a Christmas pageant at the Montessori school where her granddaughter was, and Kelly was there, and uh, she left after her granddaughter's performance, and I chased her in the lobby, and I introduced myself, and I let her know that we were here to honor her late husband's mm. legacy and to add to it. And I think she was touched by that. And, and ever since then, she she understands what it's like being a coach's wife. And she has looked out for Debbie and for the girls ever since because she knows what it takes and has been has been superb and, and just just wonderful. Um, <clears throat> the other person who really, really uh, took hold for us is uh a uh, couple of people with Pierce Stormy, who, uh, you know, Clemson Hall of Fame, national champion and runs the, uh, the CISA program, uh, in Greenville. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a, a guy who, uh, I was very close to in, in, in the game or he used to run, uh, Umbro here in, in Spartanburg. And, uh, he called me on the phone. He said, if you need to know anything about Clemson, you need to get in touch with Pierce Stormy. And, and so I called Pierce on Christmas Eve and he was on his way to mass and he took the time to, uh, to just really, really drill me down on what the Clemson soccer program was and where it was at. And, you know, the one thing about Pierce is that he's very, very giving his heart's huge and he, uh, but he's not gonna, he's not going to be us. He's going to tell you the truth. And, and that was really, really helpful. And then since we've been here and, and really when I got here, uh, you know, there was some turmoil in the program with the past head coach. And obviously that's many times the way that you, an opening happens. And, uh, Dr. Milt Louder was, uh, had dealt with the, uh, the aftermath of that. And, Mike Patempa, who was uh, an assistant coach here and who I tried to retain, but he had already accepted a position down in Florida and has done great things then and, uh, and since, uh, particularly assisting us with our recruiting, uh, told me that, that I, I should get in touch with, with Dr. Lauder. And uh, Milt has become a big part of our lives and, and a big part of our program. And, and now, you know, what he does uh, with his group uh, for the athletic department here is, is sensational. So that's continued to grow. And that's been, that's been great. So, and there are many, many others. Yeah. Right? I mean, I could, I could reminisce about this stuff all day. I am uh, totally uninformed about the history of Syracuse soccer. Um, an ob- objectively, 
where where are they traditionally compared to Clemson in terms of uh, history, success, and all that? What's the better job, objectively? I guess. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, Clemson was the better job because playing in the ACC is, you know, it's the best soccer conference in the country, um, and Syracuse had was in the same place in the Big East as Clemson was in the ACC, and I wasn't. You know, it was going to be a rebuild at both programs. Um, but one of the deciding factors to come to Clemson was not just the ACC and that Debbie said it, this, but it, it was, again, it was the way that Terry Don approached hiring me. Um, up in Syracuse, they told me that I could clean house. I uh, didn't have to honor any of the scholarships, start from scratch. And, um, you know, have a... Have a blank canvas uh, and, and do what I needed to do in order for them to become successful. And they were going to support me. Terry Don took a different approach and it, it was more an educational approach. He, he said, Mike, we're going to give you time. We're going to give you a long-term contract. But I'm asking you, the, the kids that are on the team right now, they've been through a lot. And he said, um, I don't know soccer, but he said, these kids have been through a lot. He goes, please, if we've made mistakes in the athletic department, retain these kids and help them continue to grow or help them go someplace else. And, and you don't have to win right away here. You just need to run the programs the way that you see fit, and we're going to let you do that. But be mindful of the guys who've been through a lot here. And... You know, again, you hear that type of leadership, and that's the type of people I want to work for. Would some coaches interviewing for a job when they hear the three most important superiors, speaking of Terry Don, Billy D, and Kyle Young, if they heard all three of those guys unanimously say, yeah, we don't know jack squat about what you coach, <laughs> would some people be turned off by that? Yeah, I think one or two of the candidates might have been. Um, but, you know, I again, I saw it as an opportunity and, and a way to, you know, educate. As, as long as I could get them invested in what we were trying to do, and that was building a culture, and that doesn't make a difference what the sport is. It's, it's, it's what you're trying to do in the environment that you're – you're trying to surround yourself with. And the other thing that was really impressive to me too, and, and, and it was a, a fantastic signal at the beginning was I sent Jim Barker a note after I was hired and I told him, I thanked him for the opportunity and I told him that I would be introduced, uh, you know, the following day I was flying down, I was going to be introduced as a coach and Jim Barker was actually at the press conference and, uh, and, you know, welcomed me. And I thought, darn, the president of the whole university is here for a soccer coach. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, so that, that there were some really good signs that, that uh, you know, the athletic department and the university was going to embrace the tradition. And there was a tradition left behind by Coach Eve. And, you know, it's my goal to, to build that back up. And you got to remember, Larry, by my age, you know, I was I was playing and in college when Clemson was great, mm -hmm. and they were one of the four programs in the country that you know everybody looked at as the best. And my goal when I got here was to to bring that back and and, and have that consistency where people look at the program. And so, you know, that's a model program for collegiate soccer. What was the scholarship situation or lack thereof at Brown? Well, the Ivy League doesn't have athletic scholarships. None. Zero. Yeah, yeah, zero. So they have financial aid based upon need, but their endowment uh, provides a great deal of need, and to qualify for aid is is you know, it, I won't say it's relatively easy, but it's uh, most of my players were on some form of financial aid, um, and then the selling point of Brown was what happens once you graduate and where your starting salary was. And I had statistics that were showing, you know, it starts here and then within five years it goes to here. So if you turn down that scholarship on the backside, look how much it's going to pay you back. That was the recruiting picture, Brown. 
but getting 9.9 scholarships was something that I, you know, I was like, this is going to be great. You've got to understand the perception of Clemson in New England and up north is that it's a private school, right? And sometimes you assume things, and I mistakenly assumed that I was going to get the 9.9 scholarships and need-based financial aid, mm. and I was and I was going to kill it. <laughs> My first recruit was a guy named Fanwell Cavita, who was all you know, ACC and still playing professionally, but he was a Congolese refugee living in Salt Lake city. One of six kids, his dad was a cab driver making less than $25,000 a year. And I'm going, Oh, this is perfect. I'm not going to have to spend a dime of scholarship money on him. And I walked in and I, I told Kyle about fan Wow and you know, the player he was and this, and the other thing. And Kyle, and I told him my plan about, getting financial aid for him and Kyle looked at me and he said, Mike, there is no need-based financial aid here at Clemson. We told you you have your 9.9 scholarships. Wow. And I was like, like, what? And that was, that was, that was the big shock to me. Um, And it was, it's not Terry Don or Kyle's fault or Billy D's. I didn't ask the right questions. And I didn't understand, I didn't do my research well enough to understand uh, that Clemson University was a state university and that, you know, their resources and pools of resources uh, weren't going to be the same. Uh, But, you know, after I licked my wounds a little bit, I wasn't real happy, to be honest with you, Larry, but uh, but I realized, you know, hey, Harvard's endowment was greater than Brown's. And they were getting better financial aid packages at Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. And I was getting that brown. So we were going to go to work, and we were going to use what we had and find ways to uh, to be successful. And you know, not worry about what we didn't have, but worry about what we did. Here, here in 2022, the the need based realm. Uh, scholarship realm is an issue. I know with baseball, I guess for y'all too, because you have. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of it is places like Vanderbilt and North Carolina, Virginia, with big endowments, are able to apply a lot of money toward that need-based uh, uh, sort of criteria. Am, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, and they also have merit-based aid. Um, we have some merit-based aid here academically, but it's you know you have to have Ivy League credentials in order to qualify for it. Um, but yes, it, that's the baseball world. But in the soccer world, you got to think: Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia, North Carolina, right? And it's the mm-hmm. same with baseball, right? Within the within the conference. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's one of the challenges. Uh, but Clemson handles it well. Uh, you know, we have resources that those schools don't have to build facilities, to create programs that <clears throat> support our student athletes like no other place in the country. Uh, and, you know, we make up for it in those areas and, and work really hard. But, you know, when I'm asked the number one thing that, we need in our equivalency sports, whether it's President Clemens asking me, uh, you know, Dan Radakovich, or now Graham Neff and Kyle, it's need-based financial aid mm-hmm. to com- to compete or compete consistently, mm-hmm. right? So that's uh, you know, but it's not a complaint. It's just something that we need to continue to fundraise until we get to the point where we can we can offer that. How about old Terry Don? He, uh, <laughs> his hire of Dabo was roundly uh, scoffed at for years. Um, I, I think, I don't know this, but it, people say that when he hired you, people were like, who? And where where did he come from? You know, that, that was criticized early on. What do you think about his touch uh, uh, in, in in making hires that, that aren't, Obvious at the time, I guess that aren't aren't considered slam dunks at the time. Obviously, Dabo being much less of a slam dunk than you, given his lack of a track record, lack of experience. But what was it about Terry Don that 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 you think um, made that his sweet spot? 
Yeah. Well, let's let's, let's also not <laughs> forget Brad Brownell, who came two weeks after I did, and is now the leading uh, winning basketball coach at Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, those are three coaches that Terry Don hired within a year, uh, and uh, you know, I think what it is is that Terry Don was a coach. Uh, and he was really, really wise and he didn't listen to the noise and he, he had his own voice in his head, uh, that he had values that, that he, I think espoused as a person that he wanted to see in coaches. And I think that, you know, Dabo and, and myself had some of those similar qualities, uh, that, that, you know, he looked for. And that he understood what it was like being a coach. And many times now in these, you know, major athletic uh, departments, you've got CEOs, not people bending between the white lines, Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think Terry Don was a coach and he understood the ups and the downs and, and, you know, what can happen is you're building, uh, you know, a culture and, and, you know, how to, how to continue to, uh, to lack of a better word, protect coaches sometimes from, uh, the vagaries that, uh, the fans or, or popular opinion, uh, might, you know, put out there. And, you know, I, he was, yeah, I, when, when, when I was working for Terry Don, I didn't quite understand him. Uh, and in the last couple of years, boy, I tell you what, what he did as a, and I call him this, you know, he's a humanist, right? He understands what it's like to be human and to have faults and to allow those things to go on and, and to, uh, and to care about other people. And I think he was looking for that uh, when he was hiring coaches. And uh, obviously he did a pretty good job. I'll never forget, and I was just interviewing Billy D a few weeks ago, and, and he brought this up. You were here, 2010, November 2010, when they lose to South Carolina at home. Uh, they had lost back-to-back to South Carolina for the first time, I think, since early 70s. And so... Debo's second full season, of course, people are are howling that uh, he's not cut out to do the job. And uh, Billy D pointed out to me. I mean, I think Debo has shared this anecdote, but I didn't know that Billy D was a part of it too. But right after that game, Terry Don walks up to Billy D and says, "Meet me in Debo's office in twenty minutes or whatever." And Billy D's first thought was. Wow, he's about to fire Dabo. And so they end up in the office with Dabo, and Dabo thought he was getting fired too. And that's when Terry Don said, I've never believed in you more than I do now, in, in your vision and, and, and the your abilities and all that. And I think that's sort of what you were getting at when, uh, when you talked about not listening to the noise and sort of the empowering coaches with that uh, yeah. sort of human belief, you know, and, and, uh, sort of investing in them relationship wise. Yeah. Without question. I, I mean, I was here and that was my, one of my first experiences here. Uh, I just arrived and it was a witch hunt. Like I've never seen anything in my life and they couldn't get dabble because he was new. Right. And he had been to the AC storm. I think this was 2011 when they were under 500. It was 10. It was 10. Yep. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, there was bloodletting. I think Kevin Steele was, was let go. Uh, well, that was a year later. A year later. Okay. <clears throat> this but, is when he fired Billy Napier and, uh, Billy Napier, Andre that's right. yep. yeah. And those, and those guys have proven to be pretty good coaches. Um, I, uh, you know, and I can remember it, uh, and many people don't know this, but Jim Barker, I think, will uh, can recount this. Is I sent President Barker a note because uh, you know I read that they were interviewing all these people, and there was a big, you know, you know, review of 
what was going on the presidential level and Terry Don and this, that, and the other thing. I wrote Jim Barker a note that said, hold your nerve mm. because you got a really, really good football coach and an even better AD. And, you know, they were interviewing people. Next thing I knew, his secretary called, wanted me to go meet with the president. And I had been here like three or four months. And he was great. And, you know, I, there are certain things that I think you have to do when you're in leadership positions. And I think President Barker was doing that at this time. But I just said, you know, that football, I've, I've listened to him. I've watched him. I know I've been involved in coaching college for a long time. And we don't want to see that guy coaching Alabama in the next four or five years. And I let him know my opinion on Terry Don and why I came to Clemson. And that was really had to do mostly with Terry Don and what I, the story I told you about the way he wanted me to treat the players that were here. And I said, these type of people are hard to find. And he thanked me and, you know, did his review and obviously great things came after that. What was it that you saw and heard from Dabo in just a few months to give you the conviction to email the, or send a note to the president to say, hold your nerve. Well, there, there are a couple of things. Um, on, on Terry Don is that's the guy who just hired me. So he obviously had some trust in me and I need to show some faith in him. And he's under the gun. But with Dabo, it was it was so easy to see because he was so genuine in what he was doing. And when he, you know, when the team failed, it's always the time you look at the character of a coach. And he never blamed the players. He never blamed his staff. He, he took responsibility for things. Um, and, 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 put out solutions or things that he wanted to do or that he was going to do. He had a vision. And I listened to him and I'm the soccer coach and I just arrived and I'm going, I'm convinced this guy's going to do what he says he's going to yeah. do. <laughs> right? And, and that's, what, that's what coaching is and that's what leadership is. And given time, the rabid fans, you know, just, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are calling for his head who is, who were in the, uh, in the stands when he won national championships oh, about yeah. five years later, six years later. Right. So, you know, what goes on in, in, uh, in a program is so very hard for, um, and that's why the kids are, are so courageous. I mean, they walk across that white line every day and they get judged by people who really don't know what their life is really all about and what goes on in their lives. And that's, that's, you know, I'm not being judgmental of the fans because the Clemson fans are the best that are any place. But it's really hard for them to understand that. And they, they actually really can't. And what goes on in the coach's life and what goes on in the, uh, and what goes on in the player's life uh, as a student athlete. <laughs> I've got a great story. I was, I was on one of my first recruiting trips down in, uh, down in Georgia. And I was in Atlanta. It was a Sunday morning. And I was in a Starbucks and I had my Clemson shirt on the tiger paw on, and uh, I'm standing in line this really good looking six foot three inch man dressed in a Sunday suit. Looks at me and he goes, we had lost to NC State, I think, the day before and NC State wasn't very good. And he looks at me and he goes, what happened? <laughs> and, and I looked at him and I go, what's this guy talking to me about? He's going, what happened yesterday? <laughs> And I look back at him. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, recruit, right? He goes, those boys played awful yesterday. And I was like, oh, my God. He's talking about the football game that happened yesterday. But I, I barely knew the result. I knew that we had lost. And I said to him, and I said, well, to be honest with you, I don't exactly know what happened, but I know that they're 18 to 22-year-old young men, and a lot of times they make mistakes. <laughs> Great answer. You know, so I, you know, it's it is amazing, and and it's it's the good and the bad, isn't it, Larry? Because the fans make the experience for our athletes and for our programs, right? No question about it. They make the experience what it is. They attract, but at the same time, 
you know, you've got to take the other side of that because they can be very, very critical and they want to win as bad as it as anybody in the country here. And that's the cauldron that you're in. And that's what you accept when you come here to Clemson. And you've got to embrace that or else it'll tear you up. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services, via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. With football, with criticism of a football team, it can come in a Starbucks in Atlanta. It comes, you know, newspaper articles, whatever, message boards, Twitter. I mean, it's such a big stage thing. In what ways, as the soccer coach at Clemson, do you... Where, not feel the pressure per se, but do you experience the the criticism? Well, if you come to Riggs, uh, my wife sits on the other side of the field, up in the corner, where nobody knows it's her, because she doesn't want to sit with all the fans and the parents and listen to how bad her husband's yeah. is coaching. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it comes with the territory, doesn't it? Uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it's self-induced pressure uh, more on, and, and again, a great lesson I learned from Terry Don is if you've got values and you believe in those and, and that's what you, don't listen to the noise. Uh, listen to the, the small group of people that you trust, my staff, a uh, couple of the mentors that I've had in the game and, uh, and, and do what you need to do, uh, to, to again, you know, live those values and have your team live those values. And man, there've been games that we've lost that I almost screwed up the Oregon state game out in, uh, in the quarterfinals. We almost didn't get to carry to the college cup because I made decisions that kind of went against my gut, uh, to start that game. And we were miserable and down a goal 25 minutes into the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, that happens in sport. Ask Michaela Schiffer. I mean, yep. it's, that's, sport's a tough thing. And, uh, and it is because, you know, you're being judged at every turn, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player. Um, and it's, uh, but it's also the most exhilarating thing and the, and the best thing in the world. And, you know, the great life lessons that you learn in such a great educational environment. The opening of uh, the Alan Reeves Center uh, slash Palace slash Dabo Land uh, attracted great fanfare. And I guess that was the winner of 17 right after their first national championship. Um, uh, a, a bit of a bit of a footnote was that it totally displaced the soccer <laughs> uh, practice uh, uh, practice arrangement over there. And Dabo has made mention of this uh, 
I think even recently, I think it was after after y'all won it. Um, what was that like in the moment? Because I think I talked to you at, at points back then, and that's very difficult to to go through from from your chair. Um, in hindsight, just looking back, maybe share what that was like, uh, just from your perspective. Yeah, well, actually, what what happened is uh, we had won the quarterfinal against Maryland at Riggs, and we're on our way to Kansas City to the College Cup to the semifinals in 2015. And on Monday morning, we went out to practice, uh, or it was Tuesday. We had a day off Monday. It was Tuesday, and they were boring holes oh, in our practice field. <laughs> there was heavy equipment. It wasn't there on the weekend. It appeared on the Monday, and they're boring holes in the practice fields. And they had left one field. There were two fields over there. They had left one field for us to practice on, but nobody thought about the fact that all this heavy machinery is making a lot of noise, and you really can't train properly with this going on. And I was hot. I was really hot. Because it was, I mean, can't you just wait a week? Let us get through our national championship run and start the following Monday. And I went into Kyle and, uh, yeah, it was, (laughs) and I don't know whether Kyle called Dabo or what, but it was explained to me that they had to start that day so that it was ready for signing day two years later. And that was the deadline. Wow. That was the that was the logic behind that it. Was, yeah. And and they had it, you know, it was contracted. That was the way it was. And to be honest with you, nobody expected us to be in the college cup semifinal. They thought our season would be done by then. And we had been underestimated, which never feels good. Um, and then Dabble picked up the phone. He called me on the phone and he said, Mike, I know, it, you know, you're probably pretty upset. Uh, and, uh, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to promise you, that as a result of this building being built now, you're going to get a much, much better facility. And I'm going to help you get it. Huh. And again, like I told you, you know, about my conversation, when you asked me what was it about Dabo that makes him, I believed him. Right? I said, okay. If this guy says it's going to happen, he's as genuine as days long. And Terry Donna said the same thing, and Kyle reassured me. And so, again, like everything else, you deal with what you can do with what you have, not worry about what you don't have or what's been taken away. And, you know, we went out, won the semifinal, and then unfortunately lost in the final. Um, But, you know, seeing scenes of us, they had the Christmas party, uh, the night of the party, the athletic, uh, the night of the final, the athletic department Christmas party, and seeing the scenes and the pictures of, you know, the football staff and the athletic department staff cheering us on, you know, you just felt as though, you know, this is just a really good place to be a part of. And, you know, as, as much as, you know, my first athletic director at Wheaton College told me this when I was, uh, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, when I was uh, thinking about taking the University of New Hampshire job, I was at Wheaton College, was a Division Three job. It was my first head coaching job, and I was the head lacrosse coach, head soccer coach, director of club sports, and supervising equipment room. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, and intramurals, and intramurals. <laughs> and I was thinking about taking the uh, the the University of New Hampshire job, which had come free and had been offered me, and all I was going to have to do was coach the soccer team. The the old coach coached lacrosse and soccer, but they had separated the jobs, and I was just going to have to coach the soccer team. And it was going from Division One to Division Three, with 2.2 scholarships, and I think they were going to pay me $23,000 or $27,000. And I went into Chad Yowell, and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to take the job. And he looked at me, and he said, I thought you might do that. And he goes, I know you've been frustrated here because your passion is soccer and you want to concentrate on soccer the entire time. And you're going to be able to do that up in New Hampshire. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something, Mike, for the rest of your career. You're going to be frustrated in every job you have at different points along the way. It's how you manage that frustration or how you let the frustration manage you. 
is going to be the telling story in your career. I've never forgotten. Mm. Wow. Does it so that was, yeah. that was my first AD. Great advice. <clears throat> no doubt. So, so during the seat this season, uh, you know, I, I would go and hang out with the, those folks in the, uh, above the East, about the East end zone. Uh, by the way, they, they're very sensitive. They're friends of mine and their, their feelings are hurt because you went on Plyler's show a few weeks ago and you didn't, you didn't credit them for as, as being <laughs> instrumental in, in your, <laughs> in your success. But, uh, 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 yeah, they, 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 well, they disappeared for a while what? and then they came back. They disappeared for oh, a little while my and gosh. they came back. No, so, not, not according to them. According to them, they were there every game. Yeah. No, I told them. Uh, it's great that they're back. <laughs> I told them, uh, I, I told them, I said, actually, it's a good thing that, that he didn't mention, mention you guys slash us because we don't want the secret to get out that we can sit there and drink beer and, and eat food and, and watch soccer for free. <laughs> no, we need to get a little more tailgate and more parking areas. Uh, I don't know where that's going to come, but it's, uh, you know, Riggs is, uh, Riggs is a special spot. And, and those are the fans that I would be with if I wasn't coaching the team. <laughs> so you can relay that to them. Uh, but anyway, I would ask much, uh, much more advanced soccer minds than, than, than I, it's like, do you think, do you think this team, do you think it's, they can win a championship? And I'm curious in a coach's mind in the middle of a season, do you ever, do you think that way to the, to where you ask yourself, can we win a championship or is it just, are you so locked into the next challenge that you don't even really think about it that much? How does that, how does that work in your mind? Yeah, it's, uh, it, I would say more the latter, uh, than the former, uh, is that I've, I've felt since 2014 that our program was at a place that we could win the national championship. Um, and you know, it was just one we were going to poke our head through. And, and I've got a, a very close personal friend and, and coaching mentor who lives over in England. His name is Bill Bessick and he's worked at the highest levels of the game over there. And, and Bill's the one when I have my disappointments at the end of the season that, that well, I talked to him throughout the season, throughout the year, but at the end of the season, we have our call and, and, uh, you know, he continues to encourage me to keep doing the things that we're doing because sooner or later we're going to poke our heads through. And, uh, and this year we poked our heads through, uh, but I felt for, you know, the last seven or eight years, we had enough quality in our team and we were doing things in a way that was what we call and what we've termed uncommon, doing common things in an uncommon way that sooner or later, you know, the luck was going to fall, which it takes. I mean, I, I, I don't think that anybody really, well, maybe the people who have won national championships understand this, but how hard it actually is to do. Um, 206 division one soccer teams start the season. And it's, it's not easy. Um, but if you continue, you're consistent in what you're doing and with, with, you know, and, and again, I think they're very similar, um, functional, assets to our program that that football has you look at my staff uh Phil jones has been here since the beginning uh he's had offers to to leave just like you know the football coordinators who left finally this year um and i think that uh, camilla rodriguez has been a head coach at southern wesleyan and he's now been here for seven years so the consistency in our staff our director of operations, the other full-time person on our staff, Rob Thompson, worked for me at New Hampshire as an assistant and then took my job there as the head coach when I went to Brown and was there as a head coach for 23 years. So we have experience within our staff. And so that translates down into the academic support area, our trainer, our strength and conditioning people, the consistency that we've had in our program and the belief that we are doing things the right way eventually led to us poking our heads through. Uh, so I've never doubted that we can win it. We just tried to do the best with what we have from the one game to the next 
and we focus on our performance in that game. And then we reevaluate that performance, try to correct some things, and make it better for the next game. You had 10 seniors, I think, who had endured a lot of disappointment in recent years. Do you think what pushed you guys through, other than, like you said, you know, sometimes the bounces just don't go your way, but beyond that, that converting that disappointment into strength, that that, that was maybe the key factor? Yeah, strength and experience. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of people ask me, when did you actually know? And, and, and I never actually knew until the clock went to zero. Um, but the we lost, you know, we hadn't lost at Riggs in 30 some odd games. It was. And I don't think the seniors had ever lost at Riggs in their careers. And we lost back to back home games to Notre Dame and to Pittsburgh. In the, in the middle of the season. And the way the seniors handled that told me that this was going to be a special group and that they could handle anything. Adversity, disappointment, and come back because the next game we played away at Wake Forest. And we played a so-so first half. Uh, Oscar Ogren, our you know, Herman Trophy finalist, made a mistake, gave them a penalty. We're down one nothing at halftime. And we came out in the second half at Wake Forest after losing two games back-to-back at Riggs and down a goal and played the best half of soccer that I've seen played at Clemson since I've been here and won the game 2-1 to one on the road. And that's when I kind of knew that this was, a, this was a special group and that there was nobody in college soccer, if they put their mind to it, that they couldn't beat. I didn't know that they would beat them, that they couldn't be. The decision to charter out to Oregon was a big deal. Can you explain the sort of the, I don't want to say back and forth, but the decision, uh, what went into that, and then the reason it was so big as, you know, on the quick turnaround going back to, to North Carolina? Yeah, well, you know, I, I told the players and, and, and then had to convince our administration, but I told the players that they were about to embark on the most difficult thing to do in sport, in any team sport, and that's to fly across country and win a game. And not only that, that it was compounded because they were playing the number one seed in the tournament and they're playing them at home. And... Uh, you know, that was, that was going to be a huge, huge ask. And in order to do that, you have to prepare the team as best as you possibly can. And, you know, you're playing that many games in a short period of time in a tournament and rest is really, really important. And so, you know, I felt it was, it was a, it was a have to do, not a want to do, uh, to charter the, out to, to Oregon and not only because of, and you never try to do this, but sometimes coaches have to do this. Um, you never try to look ahead, but the charter was more important, not necessarily getting out there, but if we were successful and we won the game, it was getting back and getting the rest for the players so that they could then leave two days later to travel to carry to play two games, not one game in a weekend, to play two games in a weekend. Um, so, um, you know, we went through all kinds of permutations. Rob Thompson, our director of operations, was on the phone with charter companies. And, you know, we had, we had talked to uh, the University of New Hampshire, who had gone out to Oregon and lost narrowly, uh, but they had chartered actually the Patriots plane. Uh, to get out there, they had a, an alum or, or whatnot uh, who was close with the crafts, and, and they had gotten that, and, and they swore that that was the way to go. Um, we didn't quite get the Patriots playing, but um, you know, I went up and uh, was going through it with Graham and Kyle, and, and Dan Radakovich stepped into the meeting, and you know, as Dan does, he said, "Okay, what's it going to cost, and what, is it something that?" we feel we need to do. And he, uh, he said, well, I have, you know, a discretionary athletic directors fund and I'll put up half of it, Mike, but you've got to fundraise the other half and you've got, you know, 
a year to do it and to pay us back. What? And I said, deal. I said, deal. I said, let's do it. And, uh, you know, it was about $130,000 as opposed to 40 grand or, or 38 grand to send us out there. Um, and I, I had no question that, 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 you know, our, uh, alumni and support would, uh, would support us in that endeavor. And, you know, Dan found the way to yes. And that's what good leaders do. And so we, uh, we, we were able to charter the plane. We got back, you know, early in the morning on Sunday morning, we were able to rest that day and then train at home Monday and Tuesday before taking off on Wednesday and going to carry. And I think that it showed because I think our best performance other than that Wake Forest performance that I just talked about was in the final on Sunday. And, you know, a lot of that is a credit to, to us being able to have the foresight to get out to Oregon the way that we did. So the the memories, I know, just for me, an independent observer of, of covering national championships, the four, five, six, seven hours that follow those championships after the final whistle are just indelible, priceless memories, just, you know, being able to just be witness to something like that. As, a, as, as the head man, can you give me the play-by-play of you walk out of the locker room or whatever, you hop, hop on the buses from that point until you get home at whatever you said, three in the morning, uh, the next, the next day. Yeah. What, just, just the, 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 the snapshots that you will never, that you'll never forget. That'll be indelible for you. Yeah. I mean, the bus ride home was surreal. Um, and, and but it started with me getting on the bus and looking at Raz or trainer and, what many people do know and some, some don't is that we lost both of our, our strikers to career, not mm-hmm. career, one to a career ending injury and one to a season ending injury. ACL tear and Mo continue to play. But I looked at Raz as soon as I get on the bus and I said, when's Mo's surgery? Because we need him ready for next year. And I was already thinking about, you know, the following year and, and getting the team to the best place that we possibly could. And Raz looked at me and he goes, can't you sit down and just enjoy this? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and I was like, I was like, and from that point forward, I kind of said, yeah, you know what? I can. And, and I did. And, and, and so did everybody else. And just the, the jokes and the, and the laughter and the songs and, you know, soccer is a singing culture. And the, the songs that were sung about every individual on the on on the bus, and it was, uh, you know, you just it, you wanted it to be a time warp, and you just didn't want it to ever stop. Uh, we got back here, uh, and the band was here, and uh, you know they had a, a fan celebration welcoming us here, and I still have pictures in my mind of George Marks walking off the the bus carrying the trophy, and. Uh, and then Peter Stormy had, had called uh, uh, the owner of the SL club to keep it open so that the guys could get something to eat and, and those who were of age could have an adult beverage. Uh, <laughs> and we went over, uh, we went over and did that. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I made my way home. I think I got home. I said three, it was probably two and the girls were still up and, and we just had a great family moment until about five and went to bed and woke up and looked outside and kind of pinched myself. And I said, Holy mackerel. We did it. The most powerful moment of all. Um, and I hope I'm not catching you off guard here was you snapping a picture of you celebrating with your, uh, with your late sister in California. Can you tell me about her? And, um, I know a lot of people will never forget the sight of you taking that, snapping that photo with the, I guess it was a bottle of Jameson um, atop her atop her tombstone. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, you know we lost my sister to breast cancer at age forty. Mm. Um, so that's going back about twenty years ago, and she and I were you know we weren't Irish twins, but you know Michael Ryan, Patrick Noonan, and Claire Francis. And there's a little bit of Irishness, <laughs> and. Uh, 
you know, uh, her, her husband, uh, you know, made sure that in the, at, it was a proper Irish wake and we, we drank some Jameson's, uh, you know, at her funeral. And I just had the opportunity to be out in California that, uh, the following week. And, and it was just, uh, it was just time for me to spend with her. Well, Mike, you said you had an hour. Um, I was going to get into the name image likeness and all that stuff, but that might take another, another hour. That might be a whole podcast by itself. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, Larry, I, you know, I appreciate all you do and, and the coverage that you, you give, you know, all of our sports here. And it's really fun just to sit down. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're a good friend, but also uh, a great journalist. So thanks for the time today. Hey man, I really appreciate that. And, Safe travels to you. Very happy for, for you and, and, and Dev and the girls. Just uh, tremendous, tremendous time. All right, my man. Thank you. Awesome stuff there from Coach Noonan. Really need to have him on again because there were a number of things that I had written down uh, to talk about. So we'll have to have him back on. Thanks so much to our very loyal sponsors for their support of the podcast. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play. Really appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs>